Hello, and thank you for joining us from wherever you are. This is the SPS Replay podcast from the New York University School of Professional Studies Student Council, featuring our professors, alumni, and members of the community. Every noon on Wednesday, we gather to hear about their career, their journey so far, and the story of how they got here. This week, we are joined by Mr. Brian Schwegel. He has worked as a senior corporate real estate executive in charge of design and construction projects at NBC Universal and the Hearst Organization, developing state-of-the-art global headquarters for both firms. Professor Schwegel is highly regarded in the real estate industry as an expert in sustainable design and construction, maintaining his own advisory services to help owners, project managers, and government agencies maximize their performance and implement sustainable design and construction strategies. He's also a clinical assistant professor of real estate development at the NYU SPS Shack Institute of Real Estate and serves as chair of the undergraduate division. The original session was recorded on Zoom and was hosted by Sebastian Richardson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming. This is our second last high of this semester. So really amazing to have our speaker, Professor Schrego here and our moderator, Sebastian. So just a little bit about our How I Got Here series. We started the high series in the summer of 2020 when we went 100% remote. And the intention of the series was to feature more of our SBS faculty and wider NYU community and interviewing them for their story and their journey, how they got to where they are now. This is an opportunity for our students to expand their network and connect with our very young faculty members. Um, Our moderator today is Sebastian. He is the current treasurer of the Undergraduate Student Council and next year our senator. So that is very exciting. I'm gonna turn it over to Sebastian to start our conversation with our speaker for today. Thanks everyone for joining. Thank you, Nicole. I'm very excited to be here and I'm even more excited to have the opportunity to introduce our guest this afternoon, Professor Brian Schwegel. Professor Schwegel is a clinical professor of real estate development at the Shack Institute of Real Estate, and he also serves as the industry engagement liaison and coordinator of the undergraduate division. After graduating from the State University of New York at Albany, he earned his JD from St. John's University School of Law and worked in as an attorney for over two decades, focusing on land use, leasing, acquisition, and disposition of property issues before he transitioned his career path to focus more directly on real estate development. He has worked as a senior corporate real estate executive in charge of design and construction projects at NBC Universal and the Hearst Organization, developing state-of-the-art global headquarters for both. For NBC, he moved the Tonight Show back to New York City and renovated 30 Rockefeller Plaza with a new lobby, studios, and offices. And for the Hearst Organization, he consolidated their New York real estate portfolio into a signature skyscraper known as the Hearst Tower. Hearst Tower was not only the first skyscraper to go up after the tax of 9-11, but it also won several awards, including Best Run Facility in America and the first green office tower in New York City. Professor Schwegel is highly regarded in the real estate industry and as an expert in sustainable design and construction, maintaining his own advisory services to help owners, project managers, and government agencies maximize their performance and implement sustainable design and construction strategies. With all that being said, I would love to start by asking you, Professor, to talk a little bit more about your career path after your undergraduate years, and maybe if you could share what you wanted to pursue when you were younger and how that compares to what you do now. Sure. Thank you, Sebastian. and Thank you for inviting me to speak to you today. I appreciate it. I uh, went to SUNY Albany uh, on a scholarship for journalism and thought I would become a reporter. I majored in political science and minored in journalism. When I got out of school, it was very difficult to find a job, even though I had some great internships as an undergrad working as a political writer in the Albany Capitol with internships. I covered a gubernatorial campaign with a friend of mine who had a radio network that was strung together. And then on the side, I wrote some press releases and some speeches for a political candidate who lost. But after that election, I was asked to join a Senate campaign and race as a PR person and traveled back and forth in Albany, working on legislation and different community issues. I did that for a number of years, and then I went back to law school. I fully expected to become a prosecutor. But again, with an internship that I had while I was in law school with public television, I realized I could mix my love of media with my love of law and put the two together. And um, it was a very collaborative office. I enjoyed it immensely. I became friends with the president of public television. And that 
curiously led me to a job on the job board when I graduated law school to work for the Hearst Corporation, which was one of the largest owners of media, private media properties in America. I worked in their real estate department on leasing, commercial acquisitions and dispositions and um, their portfolio, which was basically around the world. And as a young individual, I got to travel all over working on uh, magazines, newspapers, television, radio, uh, and cable properties in the age of internet as it was starting, uh, which eventually led to being given the opportunity to build their corporate headquarters to put everyone under one roof in New York City. That led to a very successful project, which launched my career in a different direction as an expert in design and construction of corporate headquarters. The NBC job came many years later after GE sold their interest to Comcast and Comcast decided instead of moving their headquarters to somewhere else, they were going to rebuild within 30 Rock and consolidate their real estate portfolio there. So that's a quick thumbnail approach to how I ended up where I am. It's a long winding road, but internships and opportunities came along the way that um, led me eventually to teaching about how to do what it is that I was good at doing, which was consolidating real estate portfolios and coming up with corporate headquarters decisions. You talked about those twists and turns throughout your career, and I was just wondering, I'm sure a lot of the students want to know, what did it feel like to make those pivots in your career? Was it exciting? Did it feel like there was a lot of risk to doing it? And really, what kind of what attracted you to real estate development after all those other things you've, you've gotten yourself into? Sure, there, there are always risks. I mean, again, uh, different parts of my life when I thought I was going to be a reporter, I thought, oh my God, I need to be objective. I can't go work for a politician. But I also realized while I was doing the reporting work that the best reporters are very cynical and I'm not cynical at all. I'm actually optimistic. The other thing that I realized is that I enjoy changing or pushing for change and be being an object of change. So instead of writing about how change could come about, I enjoyed being on the inside trying to effectuate change. So when you realize that you, and you get that sense of what your strengths are, you can move in that different direction. But I didn't, I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm giving up this objectivity. And here I am choosing a party and working on a campaign. I enjoyed that immensely until I went into law school and then realized, wow, you know, I have a love of media. How do I mix the two together? Again, I like to implement change rather than just advise about change. So this idea that you could be inside and be the client and make the changes that could happen or advise people that could happen rather than just working on documents all day long and passing that through to, to the client, that also was very effective. The, the idea of building a skyscraper let alone one on New York City skyline. That just came with years of trust, uh, working with a mentor at the corporation, at the Hearst Corporation, someone who was the chief legal officer of the corporation, who eventually became the chief operating officer of the corporation and then the CEO. And so his trust in me that I could take on that responsibility and surround myself with the right people to get it done was really the impetus for how I achieved building the building that I did. It was their, it was their money, right? But in a post 9-11 world, when we thought everybody was gonna go down and rebuild downtown Manhattan, construction had come to a halt. So it was a very symbolic and patriotic thing to uh, continue construction, but it also allowed me to buy the A-team of every firm that was out there. And I was very good at outsourcing. So, you know, in design and construction, there are multiple architects, engineers, and contractors you can call upon to help you. And luckily through some professional organizations like the National Association of Corporate Real Estate Executives that I had been president of, I had exposure to those individuals. And also by traveling around the world, I was able to look at real estate in a more objectified position where um, you know, there were amazing 
structures going up in France and in Germany and in England at the time, whereas New York City was still building plain vanilla boxes. And the city administration and certainly city planning were thinking forwardly that the west side of Manhattan would ultimately become the new place for a number of major buildings going forward. So they wanted to push the skyline with a new design, which pushed the envelope uh, as far as architecture was concerned and, and didn't look backwards, but was more forward thinking. And uh, when the building opened, it just won all sorts of accolades for not only its design, but also the open plan, the technology involved, the food and the amenities, the theater, the art that was incorporated throughout the building, the security in a post 9-11 world. But more importantly, everyone just wanted to speak to me about how, not only how did you build this, but how did you, how were you able to build a green building? And why was this just the first? So um, that led to uh, pretty much a speaking career out on the speaking market where I would go and tell people how to go about doing it. And uh, eventually when I became a professor, I thought it was better to build the skyscraper within the individuals that I was mentoring uh, to become better people than necessarily skyscrapers in the skyline. Could you talk a little bit more about the kind of environment that there was when you built the Hearst Tower and also maybe some of the challenges that were posed because of that with getting approvals or, you know, like you said, people were telling you this wasn't a good idea and really what you learned from that opportunity? Sure. So the first thing is I don't really accept no. <laughs> That's just me. And so I just keep pushing or keep asking or going around it. So there were plenty of people particularly after 9-11, that said we would never build a corporate headquarters. Individuals that had their own key, uh, fiefdoms within the Hearst Empire didn't really want to come in under one roof. Why would they if they had their own Cosmo building or their own television network uh, overlooking Central Park or their own independence in terms of an internet operation in downtown Manhattan? But there were savings to be had. There was innovation to be had et cetera. And again, the trust of the CEO and others and learning how to implement change management. And I've always been a good public speaker. I've always been an extremely good negotiator. And uh, as a collaborator, I knew how to bring people who had great ideas to the forefront and be able to accept them. But you pick and choose those opportunities. Not everybody on the board wanted to build a building. Not everybody within the company wanted to go into a skyscraper. So it was the right thing to do at the right time uh, in terms of the change that was necessary for the company, how they were going to be forward thinking, going from paper to digital, how they were going to retain and attract better employees as the competition was increasing with tech, tech companies like Google and Apple and Amazon. and from the legal standpoint, I knew how to, I knew the money and the financial standpoint. I knew the argument for if we stayed where we were, how much it was going to cost us and how behind the times it was going to be. I could then make the argument of where this would take the company going forward. And it was at a time when they wanted that change. So they needed to support me and I needed to support them to be able to make that change happen. But my legal background, and I think the government background that I had previously, so not to be afraid of dealing uh, with the community boards, to think about negotiating tax credits, to think creatively about those tax credits so you can get subway improvement bonuses related to transit rights, also uh, about the transfer of air rights uh, that, that might be possible, and then what the alternatives B or C were going to be if we didn't move forward. So it was about building the case and then staying with the case and surrounding yourself with the right people to make the case. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's how I did it. it no, it, that does. The explosion that happened there thereafter, it was just amazing. So, I mean, Winston Churchill said, first we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. So yes, with the help of Norman Foster and others, we shaped this head, corporate headquarters building. 
But I saw how transformational a piece of property could be, not just to the corporation itself, so they could move forward in a better way and create jobs for so many people in the construction industry that didn't have jobs at the time, and then create innovation to where properties should be moving, moving forward, that uh, I felt if this was the greenest building that we ever built in, in New York City, let alone in America, God help us. And also if I could do it, certainly other people should be able to do it. And they should be able to do one better than me. So that, that's where that quest went. What do you think goes in long-term to making sure a building is integrated into community for years? You know, with the Hearst Tower, it's, it's been very successful. And I think people, a lot of people still look to it as, you know, a hallmark building of, of New York City. And what do you think in terms of development are some of the important aspects that keep a building prevalent and you know, keep the community engaged with it over a long period of time? Sure. There are a lot of evil developers out there. There are corrupt people in any industry, but they seem to dominate sometimes in, in construction and development because they're changing your hands, property routes, uh, land, et cetera. But you shouldn't let the ego get in the way of a, of a property. And I don't think the most successful developments involve ego. They might have some ambition behind it, but the most successful properties are approached in terms of the home that you're creating. Uh, so I, I really approached, especially since the Hearst Tower was a family company and uh, had a family of properties, uh, the magazines, the newspapers, the radio and television, and those siblings should all get along. I looked at it as a home renovation. Now it helped that I understood the culture of the company, but I also helped, I, I knew how to build culture within a property itself. So we're in a, an amazing time of transformation in New York City and in urban life uh, together. So there are so many challenges re related to housing and uh, affordability and uh, office buildings, whether people will return to offices, sustainability, uh, you know, buildings are, are some of our major polluters in terms of carbon, you know, exhaust. So to be able to understand how you might be able to pivot and create better things in all of those areas and approach the community as your uh, partners and not as people that you need to be at warfare with. That takes time and it takes communication skills. But I think in the end, you get a better product by doing that rather than lawsuits and, and pushing things through. So you mentioned before you never take no for an answer. So I wanted to ask a little bit more about your character. Obviously, you, know, you have a very strong and admirable character. So uh, I was really interested in knowing more about how you define success for yourself. And what are some goals that you've set for yourself in the past? And maybe what are some that you're still trying to achieve? Yeah, well, integrity is important to me. And as I mentioned, I enjoy teaching, but what I enjoy most of all is uh, mentoring students to be better global leaders, right? To, to ground themselves in values that last. So I teach you the tools about what you can do to design, construct, build, uh, go forward in the built environment, but hopefully I'm also teaching you um, some values as we move through. I, I don't know that everybody approaches education that way, but that's the way that I uh, approach it. In terms of no, you know, sometimes no is a good thing. I am a collaborator. Listen, the best, the best person that says no to me most often is my wife. So uh, you have to listen to people. But as a collaborator, you can kind of talk through ideas and maybe your idea wasn't the best, but it was genuine. And then you have the ability to tweak it to make it better by discussing it with others. So I think there's some shaving that can happen around that. No, that may come your way. And also timing is so important. You know, the, the building at Hearst went up nine, after 9-11. Who knew, right? It could have stopped completely, but we bought the materials at the right time. We got the government approvals at the right time, and I was able to buy the right teams at the right time. So that's important. So in addition to all of your achievements and your incredible expertise, you've worked with students uh, you know, at NYU and at Shack, and you've been such a powerful mentor for many. Um, and I wanted to know, where does that passion come from? And, you know, why, how are you so good at it, you know, helping other students and young people, especially kind of start their career? You know, where does that stem from? 
Well, it probably comes from the values that I get from my parents. And my father is 92, my mother's 87. They're both still with me and they live five minutes away from me. So they've been a very big influence in my life. But I would say that it's again, knowing yourself. So when I was at NBC, it was the total opposite of Hearst in the sense that they were both media companies. They were both going through giant transformations. Uh, they were both leading physical transformations, but company-wide cultural transformations too. The culture of, of you know, Comcast was completely different from the culture at GE, which is what uh, NBC was embedded in. So that they would fight over everything at NBC. Whereas Hearst, we learned to hug someone and not let them go. We, we tried to figure out how to make the best out of someone. So whether it was building the Hearst Tower, which involved so many professionals in so many different capacities and bringing those teams together and then nurturing people through change as we were putting forward new technology, new security, new ways of officing and certainly new ways of building sustainably, I realized, oh, I'm good at this, right? The awards came later, but it's an internal recognition by the people, your peers that you're dealing with and the people that you report to that are saying, hey, you're pretty good at this. And then the, the product stands for itself and it still stands the test of time. At NBC, we were racing against the clock to get programs on the air, dealing with the Today Show, uh, CNBC, MSNBC, the nightly news, the, the regular uh, local programming, uh, as well as specialty programs and other things that needed to be done to, to build those studio spaces while the Olympics were on and while the, uh, the national elections were going forth. You were always nervous that you were going to cut the wrong wire and bring the whole network down. And um, I think there, what I realized most of all, again, was I was good at nurturing young leaders of where they had a tremendous amount of people on staff, but they were not working fully as one team and they were not working in one direction to get the project done. And there was an overly, over amount of micromanaging and negative criticisms towards the people that were doing the work. So they'd be more often than not, not make a decision and bring up progress to a halt rather than empowering them to make decisions on their own, to come to me if there was a mistake and nurturing them to be better leaders. They've all gone on to be better facility and real estate people elsewhere. But I think that's again, when I realized, you know, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. That's a famous line from Maya Angelou. And I think that I realized in that job that I'm very good at nurturing talent and putting people in the best place possible. And that's what I like to do now with the undergrads that I work with here at Shaq. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those stories show that you're obviously very good at creating and also maintaining a lot of different relationships. What goes into the aspect of maintaining and looking after uh, an entire development team, you know, maintaining connections, interactions with workers, subcontractors, foremen, and then also with, you know, top senior executives and owners. You know, uh, can you talk a little bit about that in, in terms of an entire development project and what your role plays into managing an entire team like that? Yeah. First thing, you can't be shy. You got to put out your hand and you got to shake people and introduce yourself. So on a skyscraper, that means the, the guy that's running the freight elevator to the person that's, you know, hanging the photos on the wall. But it's just basic human values, I think. The other thing is, it's just so much easier to network today with LinkedIn. And what, what students, what I often tell students is just pick up the phone and call someone. You know, they may text now. They, they certainly have a tough time with emailing. I don't, I don't know what that's all about, whether they're afraid to put the words together or they're afraid to hit the button or they had just ignored their own emails that have gone out over time. But most people want to help you succeed. So if you just pick up the phone and call them and ask them, 
genuine questions about how did you get this done or who do you think I should work with to, to help me in this regard, they'll help you. We have so many alum that want to help our students, so many professors that are just not great, you know, not just great intellectually and experts in their field, but they've chosen to be in this profession because they want you to succeed. So it's a shame, but at the end of uh, four years at, at Shack, if you're just now looking for a job and haven't really been to Wasserman Center and written your resume and gotten an internship or met with your professor and figured out how to make things on, you've missed one of the most important parts of your career and your responsibility as a student at Shack. But then again, Sebastian, I'm sure you've been to a lot of great parties uh, on rooftops and had a, a great time while you're here as well, right? Yeah, sure. You seem to be laughing. Is yeah. That, you want to share? No, no, not, not right now. Not while the recording's going, I guess. Okay. Um, I, 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 there was a great question from Shannon um, in the chat, and this kind of goes what you were just talking about, uh, you know, career development um, with students especially. And, and she wanted to know, uh, what kind of jobs do you recommend for students who want to pursue, pursue a career in, in real estate development? And also, what are some jobs or career paths that you think are supplemental to someone who wants to study real estate? Maybe some not as common jobs that are, are very helpful. Well, there are a lot of not as common jobs that are out there that are great. You know, property management, understanding the engineering of the building is so important now, particularly when air quality and other aspects of the building take on a greater role. Most buildings, whether they're in hotels or office buildings, even hospitals, they need concierge service. You know, that ability to reach out to a person and handle their issues. I think that moving forward, a lot of great landlords have added customer relations systems to their buildings where they're finding that their tenants are interested in lifelong learning. So they'll put together a speaker series, just like you're doing right now, Sebastian, or they'll invite in guest chefs or you know, someone who will match wines with chocolate, you know, somewhere that helps create a community. The same is true for adult living facilities um, and other areas, co-living facilities. There's so much more opportunity to put your foot gently into real estate and then learn other aspects of it altogether. In my situation, I learned about leasing, right? I was an attorney, then it was acquisitions and dispositions and contracts and negotiation. Um, the, the real estate construction, design, all of that stuff came separately. But the best thing about real estate is that you can go in a thousand different directions. And again, that's what I love. I love the fact that there's huge variety there. And you know, we're at a time now where we're reopening commercial office buildings. And uh, what does that mean moving forward? How do you get people back to work? Will they come back to work? Um, is three days of work sufficient? I think, again, it's about developing a culture within a box as much as it is a building that box. I mean, we need more and different types of housing, and we haven't even come close to solving that problem, not only in New York City, but across America. There's a demand for life sciences, and in a post-COVID world, uh, we have so many smart people dealing with scientific matters, uh, particularly in New York, but in other places like San Diego and, and Boston. Uh, we need to build those labs and work on pre-pandemic issues so we don't have those uh, situations like we had these past two years arrive again and, and look for solutions now in terms of DNA and, and, and gening and bioengineering and maybe solving cancer. All of those need the right facilities, as do educational facilities. Uh, Sebastian will be visiting Mercer, the development that NYU is going to open in about another year, that's a mixed-use development that has athletic facilities, housing for professors, housing for students, theater, uh, all involved together within the core of a community. And those are needed in order to build a better community within NYU, a better student experience in terms of learning. But there are all sorts of uh, interesting things moving forward that you can get involved with, certainly with the 
infrastructure bill that was passed. There are so many construction and technical jobs and sustainability with uh, environmental, you know, sustainable governance issues uh, moving forward, being of more interest to students. It's a whole nother field that you can enter into. But there's always brokerage. There's always building your own portfolio. There's always, you know, starting out small with uh, one house and and, uh, making it a two family and finding a tenant that's going to pay for your mortgage and then refinancing that house and building another. That's the way that you build wealth in America. That's that's uh, an, an amazing thing to do. And I'm happy that we teach students on how to do that as well. One other question I think relates to this was from Matthew about starting a real estate career. He asked, are there any, or what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make and, and students make when they're starting a career? I, I, when I read that, I always think about you telling us that we have to read real estate and we have to read the news constantly. And I think that would be one mistake is not to be you know, caught up on, on trends and, and the market and what's going on. I think just kind of that general knowledge is very valuable. But is there anything else that you think are, are some mistakes or missed opportunities that students tend to have? You know, it's interesting coming out of the pandemic, these last two classes, uh, grades of, of um, Shaq living in a computer box, but now outside in the real world, there was a lot of anxiety with that, right? So... And I think, I think the advice I would give students is just believe in yourself, invest in yourself, uh, be a constant uh, lifelong learner and, you know, build your network. Anytime you attend somewhere, you know, make sure you have your, your cards with you, exchange cards, connect on LinkedIn. People are on LinkedIn to make connections. They're not afraid to meet you. And you don't ever know when you're going to need that connection, or you might be able to to uh, reach out to them. Always be curious, ask questions. What's the worst that someone's gonna tell you? I don't have time for you. Then move on to the next person and ask that person a question. So most people I believe are good natured and wanna help you. But yes, Sebastian, number one thing, be a lifelong learner and read. God help you read. The students in my classroom sometimes just go with the headlines, the bullet points, and you need to read deeper to be able to understand where the trends are going, to understand how you could be a leader in that area, how so people can take you seriously and how you can you know, build a, a, a career of your own that is to your own liking. Also, know your strengths, play to your strengths, don't play to your weaknesses. I knew I enjoyed working in media. So I had a very fulfilling career working for several media companies. I was able to, I knew I like to make decisions versus passing on decisions to people. So uh, I positioned myself in a way where I could influence things and be impactful. And then I could look back and see where that impact is and say, if I could do it, someone else can do it. So, you know, I think all of you at Shaq are very fortunate and should be able to reach out to others later to. Um, you know, get the benefit of what you've learned as well. We talked a little about uh, some mistakes that maybe students can make. What has been your biggest mistake in your career, biggest challenge? Uh, I want to focus a little bit more on maybe a mistake you've made and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I probably overstayed at NBC. Uh, The culture uh, was not a culture I enjoyed. The people I enjoyed, some of the people that I was working with, the impact to build, you know, new studios and and work with technology and create new lobbies, et cetera. But it wasn't, it wasn't a culture uh, similar to Hearst, the hugging culture or that ability to, to um, uh, kind of build people up. It was more of a company that at the time, at least the people that I was dealing with uh, were about, screw them, float that bill. Don't worry about that. You know. Uh, move on to the next thing. Very few pats on the back, but I was paid very well uh, to work there. And uh, I made a a lot of really interesting friends when I was there. And uh, it's fun to work in an environment where Saturday Night Live is is going on. uh, And then you're in the same elevator with the, uh, the news people that are on the air every day. Some of them are extremely nice and some of them are primidonas, but that's true uh, almost anywhere where you go. 
I think, you know, maybe 30 years ago, it was very common to see someone stay in the same career path at the same company for several years or even a couple decades or more. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, I guess now, you know, more people are switching between jobs, you know, younger people go back and forth, um, are always trying to move up. How do you know when it's the right time to transition and how do you go about making, you know, the proper steps towards making a positive transition and a positive step in your career path? I think that's uh, one of your best uh, questions, Sebastian. And I don't know when, you know, you know, you have to follow your own instinct. In my case, I also, I, I told you, I, I, I have a wonderful relationship with my wife. So, you know, she, she advised me, you know, you, you love teaching, you're a good adjunct. This is maybe what you should be doing more of. And so, you know, I know I like to surround myself with people that I can build up. I realized I'm uh, probably later in life, I could accept the fact that I was more of a nerd and like to read and, and like the intellectual uh, capacity of kind of learning. But what I really enjoyed at NYU is being around really smart people and having very smart conversations with intellectuals that weren't just in the real estate field, but you know, were from the humanities and, and all over and who had devoted their life to uh, education and helping other people. So it became a more purposeful engagement not only with students, but also with faculty. And, you know, you create your own challenges. So coming out of the pandemic, I probably overdid it in the number of tours that we went on in my construction management class. But I love to get the students out. There are so many skyscrapers that just open. There were so many people that were in the field of construction or design or uh, management of buildings that were willing to work with me and, and teach my students about what made their facilities the best. And I think those type of experience and experiential learning is what Shaq does best. And that's, that actually gets me very excited. So in answer to your question, my wife helped me pivot. I went with the pivot knowing I'm, I'm good at this stuff and knowing I wanted to be smarter in terms of being a subject matter expert that was going through change. And it takes time to be a thought leader, to, to read and, and to write about things and to interact with others that are doing that. But there are new challenges. You know, The fact that they tasked me to rewrite the curriculum for the undergraduate class, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? We're number three in the country. I, you know, I'd love to be number one, but it, you know, real estate changes and you have to pay attention to where those changes are. And you're the leaders of tomorrow. You're the ones that are creating the world that I want to live in. And so uh, I want to pivot and make you better leaders so that I feel that the world is a better place once we leave it. That's great. So I asked, you know, of a big challenge that you had. And, and now I wanted to know what was uh, one of the best decisions you've made and what made it such a great decision career? Well, I love being at NYU. But I don't know, the greatest decision that I made. I lived a life. It's not over yet, Sebastian. There are going to be some other decisions coming forward. It sounds silly, but creating the family that I've created with my three daughters and my beautiful wife, I mean, I'm lucky in that regard. To me, that's just as important, if not more important than anything else. They're the legacy I'm leaving behind on the planet. So worked out for me. She said yes. So... Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a different situation for everyone. Can you talk a little bit more about the impact your family has had on your career? I think in real estate, you're very kind of, you know, bogged down in, in, you know, what you're doing, but obviously it's really important to have, you know, a social life and family members that support you um, and friends. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little more about their impact and then also maybe what you do in, in your spare time um, with your family or maybe not with them. Well, with the family, uh, I drag them along to skyscrapers. No, I, um, although we did have a, a beautiful uh, birthday party recently for my daughter who attends NYU, uh, Isabel, at, at the top of one of the beautiful hotels that have gone up in uh, uh, Williamsburg, uh, the William Hale, um, and, and enjoyed the skyline there. I garden in my spare time. I do have a, a, a very lovely home on Long Island. 
So uh, I tend to the roses or they tend to me. I, we're a springtime now. So the garden, as much as it's not as good for my hay fever, calls me and uh, uh, the tulips are coming up in the front of the house and uh, the lawn needs to be mowed and there'll be other issues there. I like music. One of my daughters just bought me tickets to Coldplay in, in New Jersey. So that'll be fun coming up recently. And my wife and I uh, attend uh, theater. Uh, I'm involved in a number of community charities, charities at home. Uh, I sat on a, a committee for Governor Cuomo to help with money coming in uh, post nine, uh, post uh, Sandy uh, for the redevelopment of the waterways on Long Island and some of the park systems. I'm actively involved in a St. Patrick's Day parade, one of the largest outside of New York City that raises charities. Um, a huge amount of money uh, for charities um, and, and the communities that we live in. And um, oh, oh I'm, a, I'm a Mets fan, so which uh, Noah Hakem hates, but uh, yeah. you know, as, as a Yankee fan, there's nothing he could do about it. So you mentioned your, you know. By the way, we uh, Noah put together the club put together a great, uh, and we're we are collaborating with. The sports, uh, SPS is sports, Tish Sports uh, Group. We're going to be going to Yankee Stadium and looking at that development. And what did it take to put it together and, and uh, tour the stadium? And uh, if Noah has his way, he'll uh, force me to go to a Yankee game. Yeah, that sounds like a very exciting try. I know I signed up and hopefully it'll be a game we can get to soon. Um, Thank you, you, Sue and Tabitha, for all the help. Sorry for the, all the chaos with, with me on, on email, but sorry. But I I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned that, you know, you're associated with other organizations, and I wanted to focus a little bit more, uh, among a few, you've you've been part of the Urban Land Institute and and now the New York uh, City Housing Authority. Can you explain your involvement with those organizations and and what your role is and what you look to get out of it? Sure. ULI, Cornet, AMA, all of these different organizations um, have student memberships some that are free and some that only cost about $25. And I highly recommend to all of my students that they should join them. Uh, there are scholarship opportunities, et cetera. But there was no way that I would be able to build the Hearst Tower if I didn't have the networking capability that I developed by becoming uh, eventually the president of the National Association of Corporate Real Estate Executives. It gave me a network far beyond New York City but intensively within New York City, within the real estate community. It gave me a platform to reach out to people. And it's an organization that I continue to be uh, a member of and I'm active in and participate in panels and put together panels for them. Everyone should find some sort of organization that they can build friendships and relationships with. And if they're able to do it within the field of work that they're in, that, that's much better. In terms of uh, sitting on the advisory board for the fund for uh, New York City Public Housing, New York City Public Housing is one of the largest uh, housing entities in in the world. Uh, It is also uh, badly in need of uh, repair, and there are federal funds coming in there. Federal funds are my tax dollars, so uh, I look at it as a responsibility of looking after my tax dollars, but I also look at it at the knowledge that I have that I might be able to impart on that government entity to help them be better at what it is that they're doing. It's a volunteer organization, but again, someone that I knew through a fellowship that I had while I was teaching through uh, CORO, um, which is a a group that uh, tries to develop New York City leaders in public service. Someone reached out to me, asked me to join the board while I was on the board and this whole issue of Black Lives Matters and getting people more involved in DEI related to the world of real estate. I was able to blend a curriculum at NYU for high school students uh, that are juniors and seniors from all five boroughs of New York City uh, to create a scholarship for um, 10 women and 10 men to participate in a real estate program that's being taught by Professor Stephen Solar. And then uh, we're going out and visiting iconic real estate developments within New York City and explaining to the students how they were built 
very similar to how our commercial um, construction management class does it. Um, but this exposes the students at an earlier level and gets them interested in real estate and possibly helps them with their essays and, and um, some of their referrals for when they're applying for college. If, if it plants a seed and they decide to go into the, the field of real estate, I'd be happy uh, because we need a more diversified world within our planet dealing with what the built environment is like. To go off that, uh, you know, we've obviously talked a lot about your involvement in, in New York and New York real estate and your careers uh, focused on New York City. But what do you think will not only be some of the biggest opportunities in real estate development, but also what are some of the gaps that you see in the real estate industry and development across the country? Yeah, I'm very proud of the seniors in my senior project management class this semester that are working on a, a projects related to uh, life science development. I, I think that's a, a great new area that of, of real estate and development that's needed throughout the country. And the more that we build these labs, the faster that we'll find solutions to scientific problems that plague us. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of opportunity to look at what the office of tomorrow is like. There's a huge amount of opportunity for transit-oriented development. You know, why aren't we building greener buildings still? How are we rating those buildings and and the infrastructure that we need to build around them and what kind of incentives are we building? And then I already spoke to you about we're woefully underserved in terms of affordable housing, not just in New York City, but across America. I guess going off some of the gaps, I think you can see it in our program and, and across the industry, there are some, I guess, lags and diversity of you know, both women and, and minorities in real estate industry. And what do you think are some of the ways to tackle that um, and promote real estate as a, as a career commercial real estate development to younger individuals in high school or even younger going into college who maybe aren't considering that, maybe they don't have you know, family connections, but you know, really how do we promote it to, to everyone and, and create more diversity of thought in the real estate industry? Yeah, we, we have more women in our program than we've ever had before, but it's still not enough. I surrounded Noah with great women leaders uh, for his uh, term of office as president. Julia Passante is excellent, and uh, as is Heather Beanstock. They are, have been able to take advantage of scholarships and were involved in the WIRE uh, conference, Women in Real Estate Conference, that uh, our former dean put together and is very well regarded and uh, can only get better moving forward. Uh, I've tried to um, bring in important alumni or um, guest speakers, women uh, in the industry that have risen above that. We have some great new professors in Amy New and also um, Stephanie Wright that serve as role models for our students as well. And so, yeah, there's more that we can do. I have scholarship opportunities for uh, people of color and minorities, but I have no one to give them away to. So um, I think there's a lot more that we can do. A more diversified class, a, a, a global class makes it for a better learning environment. And when I was teaching in the graduate school, I loved the mixture of students who came from backgrounds as brokers, as builders, as retail consultants, as as an attorneys, it made for a richer conversation in the classroom. And I think very often when we have people that come from diverse backgrounds, the learning experience is, is that much better. And unfortunately, a lot of the problems in this world come from people not getting along or not communicating clearly or not having exposure to new ideas or different ways of thinking. Great. So we have uh, just a few minutes left and I want to finish up with one question that kind of has two parts to it. So um, the first is, you know, what is your favorite part about being an NYU professor? And then also what advice would you give to students at Shack and at SPS? My favorite part of being an NYU professor are the students themselves. They never, they, they always amaze me. You can see the light bulb that goes off in the classroom very often. You the best part about being in charge of the undergraduate division is I get to spend four years with you. When I was teaching in the graduate division, they were in and out. So you develop a relationship and they're gone outside of being on LinkedIn 
or an occasional phone call or running them into, in, into them in a networking capability. But, you know, we develop relationships with our students. And uh, I think that's, that's great, you know? And uh, as I said, uh, I love being at NYU because it's the premier real estate program in the city, but I'd, I'd love for it to be the premier real estate program in the world. There are ways to improve it. I'm setting about trying to do that. And mentoring students is uh, one of the best ways that I enjoy uh, being a professor. Coming up with interesting new uh, curriculum. I'll put in a plug for my summer uh, class. It's part of the new curriculum. It's the use of space in urban design and real estate. So it's about understanding how space is used and designed in New York City and looking at all the different classes of buildings. How are we challenged to, to meet those new, new demands that are out there? And what would be your, your one piece of advice you had to give to, to us? Yeah. Uh, believe in yourself. Invest in yourself. Be a lifelong learner. Read, read, read. Always ask questions. And um, the number one rule that I always tell my students in the classroom, no matter what class I'm teaching, is ask the question, what's the worst that's going to happen? Right? They're going to say no. Push yourself to ask the question. You're, you know, can I get that tax break? Why aren't we thinking about building sustainably? Wouldn't this be better for the neighborhood if we did this? How, how can we build this better than it's ever been built before? What am I leaving behind? What is my legacy that I'm leaving behind? And involve your community. We're, we're, you know, it's one big planet, but neighborhoods are small and interactive all the time. Well, I want to thank you very much, not only for this conversation, but I'm sure many of us uh, undergraduate students are really appreciative of all the support you've given us and the guidance you've given us throughout our time at NYU. So thank you very much. And I hope everyone enjoyed this and thank you all for coming. Thank you, Sebastian. I've enjoyed you as a student and a friend. So this was fun. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Professor. Awesome. Awesome job. Bye. Thank you so much, thank everyone, you, for coming. Um, don't forget, we have one more I series in two weeks on the 27th with um, Professor Joshua Spodek. So um, don't forget to RSVP on Engage for that. And thank you all for coming today. Thank you to Mr. Schwagel and join us next week with Joshua Spodek. The SPS Replay podcast is produced by the students of the SPS Student Council with Ali Weaver, Christine Long, Kyle Ronkin, Megan Vanesto, Nick Fenn, Samantha O'Connell, Sitan Gangwal, Anvi Rohila, Vanshika Chaturvedi. Special thanks to the NYU SPS Office of Student Life and make sure to follow us on social media at SPSUSC and at SPSGSC for more updates and content. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.